0: All right, uh, for tonight's uh, testimony, you've heard Alicia's salvation story last week, how she came to Christ, and the week before you heard Duncan, her husband, share how he came to Christ, but one of the things that I was most excited for them to share is some of the the things that have happened to them in marriage, so tonight they're going to spend a few minutes sharing about what what God's brought them through in their marriage, so uh, Alicia and Duncan, would you mind coming on back up? Now, Alicia and Duncan just kicked off the Married Fellowship, A&E Fellowship, last Friday night, and uh, I heard it went really well. Um, so if you're interested in being part of a, uh, well, actually, it's it's a Married Fellowship, but but if you're serious dating, you're welcome to come to it too. Okay, so if you're serious about the person you're dating, you can come to it. But if you're not serious, see, by the way, girls, this is how you know whether he's serious or not, whether he takes you to the Married couples Fellowship. <laughs> That, that's how you'll know so i so anyway by the way just so you know i didn't take my wife so
1: you took her on a date right you're so, gonna take her to dinner
0: yep <laughs> <laughs> all right it's
2: all yours awesome thank you and uh i think this is on so yeah if we can do a quick prayer just to marriages in general I think you know, as we know, some of them are struggling, some of them are not God willing, but let 's just pray for them quickly here, uh, Lord, we just seek right out you so that way you can touch marriages all around, Lord. Uh, marriage is uh, if destroyed, impacts so many people, so many feelings, so just the impact is horrible, Lord, but if it 's a good marriage in you lord it 's a great impact, Lord, an awesome impact, Lord, so we just pray for all marriages, Lord, do you be with them, guide them, protect them, and show them that you have answers for all their questions and, and you will provide for all their needs. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we uh, met on a Sunday evening, I recall it dearly and clearly. Uh, I got to tell you, I got to be honest with you. When I first saw her, I said, wow, I, I'm going to marry her. <laughs> I know it sounds weird, like love at first sight. Before, if you ask me that, you got to be kidding me. You're crazy. That doesn't exist. But really, those are the things that ran through my mind. I, I We were talking, and then, you know, I just, my, I, internally, it, it paused. I paused, and I said, okay, that's the one. Is that the one, Lord? Okay, I guess that's the one. So now, how is this going to happen? So within the next six months, we, uh, our lives uh, changed. So we ended up being in similar places, uh, ministering, you know, the same places with the same with similar people. And then I finally asked her on our date, right?
1: Yeah, he, he asked me on a date. Um, here at the Orange Circle, we just ran into each other randomly, which is weird because he's from L.A. And, um, and we, he took me to a really nice um, French restaurant with live music, a harp playing and all that. And he completely laid it out, exactly what he felt for me. Like, okay, this is my past. I was into this and that. His whole life story. And he said, oh, and by the way, I've been praying about it for the last month, and I know I'm supposed to marry you. And usually, I, well, it never happened to me before, but I would have ran, because if you heard my story last week, I was really, you know, um, guarded. And But coincidentally, the month before, I had been speaking to my roommate, and she told me, Alicia, you know, you're not getting any younger, and you have a few guys that are interested, and you're always like, no, 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 he has to have this, this, and, this, and that. And, um, and you have to stop being afraid and just trust in the Lord. If you want to get married, you need to, you know, really get serious about it. And, I, and so I cried out to the Lord on a Sunday night, which I didn't want to admit to anybody. And I said, God, I do want to get married, but please, I'm so afraid that, um, that, you know, I'm going to get hurt or something or that I'm going to hurt somebody. So if, and I'm tired of playing those little games where, okay, you're not supposed to call him back after the first date you know, or you know, does he like me? Does he not? You shouldn't be too available. All of that. So just he has to be completely clear and upfront, which he totally was. I, I thought
2: about sending a note with my brother, Circa, if you like me or not. <laughs> I didn't. Uh, so you know, we progress. Uh, and then Thanksgiving came aboard, and um, I actually wrote her a song, and I proposed to her in front of her family.
1: And he uh, doesn't sing.
2: They all threw tomatoes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But it was good tomatoes, at least. Uh, so we moved forward to the wedding day. Uh, somehow, uh, everything worked out great. Three, or four hundred people. I wanted a small wedding, a hundred people. Uh, so my side of the wedding was maybe the first four rows. Her side, I kid you not, every row. People
1: had to sit on his every side. Every row. Like, yeah.
2: And then they started jumping over my side, which made me feel good, like I was left a little bit more. But... Um, but then, right, the wedding worked out. You know, that was a little bit challenging for us because at the time, you know, the economy had, you know, taking challenges for our jobs. I was a loan officer. She was a real estate agent. So, you know, doing home loans or refinancing wasn't doing, wasn't doing too awesome for a lot of folks. Like
1: right before our wedding. But when we were dating, it was great. I mean, he used to tell me, oh, I don't even do my own laundry. I take it down to the cleaners, and they do my laundry. So I thought, great, I'm never going to have to do laundry um, it's perfect. He's spending money on me and my friends because we did a lot of group dating just to cover like the temptation, and you know, I wanted to, you know, I wanted to be pure on my wedding day, and he respected and that.
2: I always joke around, and I tell her, "You married me for my for the Mustang, not not me,"
1: <laughs> which but, uh, he ended up losing after. Which I after. No
2: have, and I guess it's still around, so I was alive. Yeah,
1: somebody had to take over the payments, and so. it was just um, everything fell apart as soon as we got back from our wedding.
2: But you know. The Lord provided for the wedding. It was a great wedding. It was just, you know, everything was awesome. Uh, we went on our honeymoon to Italy, and that was a, a great blessing for us. You know, from a Christian perspective, we're like, wow, you know, I think Paul used to be around these areas, you know. So that was also awesome. So those things were awesome. So then coming back, I'm thinking, whoa, you know, the one song that I'm going to be playing, some of you know Marvin Gaye, right, uh, Let's Get It On. So I'm thinking, yeah, that's going to be the song, my theme song. But it ended up being a little bit different. Do you guys watch UFC? You know, when they say, let's get it on. So it was more that type of let's get it on. (laughs) It wasn't necessarily the other one. You know, so that's where we were faced with who we were. Who we brought into the marriage. And, you know, those things that we never dealt with. And we had those Crazy expectations for one another, right?
1: Yeah, like I imagine him um, looking at me in the morning and being like, oh, my wife, and giving me a poem or something, or serenading me. I apologize. I
2: never woke her up with poetry every morning. (laughs) I'm so sorry. (laughs) He pretty
1: much just went to the bathroom, and then went and watched TV, and I was like, wait a minute, or he, he had a really hard time sleeping in the room. I guess when he was single, he would always sleep on the couch, even though he had a whole apartment to himself. But, um, so I was like, oh, I feel so abandoned, you know, he's always in the living room on the couch, and I'm alone. I
2: know, you're thinking I'm weird. You're right, you're right.
1: Just little adjustments that you don't think about until after you're married that really affect your marriage.
2: And, you know, we had those expectations, you know, I was thinking more like, woman, where's my chicken? (laughs) I got my chicken in my face.
1: At two in the morning. handed to me in a (laughs) plate. I'm just kidding,
2: but, you know... You know, we were brought up, and there's so many habits that were formed, uh, that were given to us by our parents for 15, 20 years or so that we bring into the marriage. And it doesn't work like that. The Lord doesn't say that, you know. So then we had on top of that, we had uh, family issues that, you know, from my family, no one's gotten married in a long time. I was the first one coming in. So now there's another Mrs. Helby coming in. So the other Mrs. Helbys are like, oh, no, what are you doing? Take him away, my son. You know, or my brother
1: not... or my sweet nephew. And... I
2: know. So, so, no, we don't, you know, that's crazy. Get away. You know. they.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was really crazy. His sister actually tried beating me up two weeks before we got married. And
2: that is true.
1: Yeah, and no. I, ha- I, I don't have street smarts, I don't think. And he was like, I had no idea yeah. what she was about to do.
2: You know what, looking back, you know, my family, it's no excuse. We weren't brought up in a Christian environment. Now, you know, thank God we're walk- we're walking in that way. But looking back, it's like I'm disappointed. You know, it's like, you know, how... You know, they could have done this, or just treated her the way they could have. You know, for me as a man, I, I think back and I tell her, "Listen, I should have taken classes how to monitor woman woman conversations, <laughs> because how in the world do you do that? I was I never knew how to do that. Uh, you know, and I joke around with her like that, but you know, that's just another world that." I was brought into for me to kind of know more about the opposite sex. And before that, I was very ignorant, to be honest with you, you know? Yeah,
1: and I think their their way was, okay, um, she's taking away our son or our lovely, you know, the guy that's always there for us, and he wasn't spending as much time, so it was a lot of resentment. Then they bring in an ex that hadn't been around in the picture for years, and they bring her in to try to just, I think, poke at us. And so the day before the wedding um, his family had her there waiting for him to just arrive and confront him. Like, are you sure you want to marry him? And that was crazy. I think after coming back from the wedding, um, she was still around. She was on MySpace. Back then there was MySpace posting pictures of them with the family. And I was a total outcast. And it was just really crazy because I didn't have that family growing up. And I really had that illusion that I was going to have a family, you know, She was longing for that. When I...
2: Definitely, and and we didn't give it to her. Now, we were at my parents' house yesterday, as a matter of fact, and I'm glad to say cops weren't called, there was no blood. You know, we prayed, actually, and we even laughed together, which was nice, you know. But yeah. but definitely, we got married, and we had issues, guys. I kid you not, you know, financial issues. I, I was working, launching a new radio station, and uh, the pastor leading that basically to this day, to make a long story short, it still owes me more than $10,000, you know. But when you go into something thinking, we're doing it for the Lord, yeah, I'm going to get paid for it, it kind of changes the dynamic of things, of what you expect. But as a newly married couple, it's kind of like, whoa, you know, you're not working. Where's my
1: money? I, I we had like, to return all of our wedding gifts. <laughs> you know, at Bed, Bath, and Yet Beyond, you can return them for cash. So we would be like, oh, we only have $40. Let's go return that $300 espresso maker. And I mean, we and just...
2: I, to this day, I still miss that espresso maker. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the fact is, we had issues. We had issues. We had issues. I mean, we had issues. What was the turning point?
1: It was the turning point. We Between five months of marriage, he left. He disappeared. Because now that we're going through that book, we realized... Um, um, that he's an avoider, and after no, so many, <laughs> he doesn't like confrontation, or he kind of just blocks it out. And so um, he tried to avoid a, one of the arguments, and I couldn't find him for five days. But everyone says, "Okay, do not ever, um, you know, try to hide from Alicia because she will find you."
2: And yes, she did. <laughs>
1: she, I found him, and I was like, "Okay, we have to work this out." And. And confronted, and so we got back together after I think four days of him missing, and then
2: it was very challenging. To be honest with you, I was thinking to myself, "What have I done? And why? Why? You know, because yeah. you know, two lives coming together. Honestly, I didn't know what to do. She didn't All know the what problems to do." And-
1: But situations, you know,
2: all these situations, but they ended up one time going to a marriage counselor at Calvary Chapel in the high desert. Pastor Uh, Chris, Pastor Chris, he spoke to our hearts really because he was able to share with us his personal experience. Of you know, he shared with us that his wife once disappeared for 15 days, and you know, she was just fine, nothing happened to her. But that kind of at the moment, we're okay, we're at the right place, this is kind of like the best, what we needed.
1: He was the first person that like was honest and true to us because I didn't know um, how how much we needed that. I mean, we, I went to a pastor, and he told us, okay, you guys just need to get a divorce. God wants you to live in peace, and you guys are always arguing, and your family doesn't agree with this. You know, they don't. They want another. They want to pick out your wife, and they still have that hope of him leaving me, and I was afraid that he was going to leave me. So know, I,
2: and those outside voices are dangerous because you start believing, you know, you're right. We don't get along. But it's not that we don't get along. It's just that we just don't know how to. We're still learning about each other. Dating for six months guess what it's not the best recipe to get started with a blast you know it so we were learning and dealing with each other now of course it's not the same you know but you know, those voices, so what we say and what we talk and how we influence people, you know, what you say, maybe not to them directly, but then somebody else will say, it and then someone else will say, it. and now the enemy starts using that to start breaking marriages and families and friendships, and so we just got to be yeah. conscious of what we listen to. Of course, what we say, but also what we listen to.
1: And people will tell you, like, they. I remember them hearing, uh, me hearing them say, okay, his." Um, they even went you know, to us and said, okay, we give you guys two years tops. May It'll be a miracle if you guys stay married five years. And now we just celebrate in February seven years. And really, I think that was a breaking point when we went and sought help from, you know, uh, somebody that was really transparent and that really told us honestly, okay, this is, this is, um, you know, you guys aren't living the way that God intended marriage to be. This is the way that the Lord, he wants you to submit. I had a really hard time submitting because I lived on my own and I had my own money. Even just putting our money together and all that was difficult. And and
2: that is right. My money is her money, and her money is her money also.
1: Yeah. So. <laughs> so, and, you know, just somebody being honest with us, and have, that church having a marriage ministry so we can go to, it. and it was totally from God, because that day that I went and asked for help, it was on a Tuesday morning. It was random. I just drove up there. had every, I had my little Honda packed completely like there was no room for one other thing in there because i was leaving and then he's like you know what you need to do alicia you need to go back bring your husband and i'm going to pray for you guys and talk to you guys and that was completely like i know that that was the day that god really really worked in us showed us our roles completely and holy and that we were able to just never ever leave each other's side again
2: it came down to are we going to obey the word of god are we going to listen to what the word of God says? There's, there's, there's a way of walking as a single person, but not walking as a married couple. It's a different world. Still, it's the same requirement. We must obey the word of the Lord. I must obey, and I knew for sure. you got to submit to me, and that's the only one I knew, but I never knew how to complete the other one where husbands love your wives. Uh, Jesus loved the, the church and gave himself for the church.
1: Every single day. And how did he
2: give Oh, Thank you. Yes. All just friendly reminders help.
1: Every day. Yeah.
2: <laughs> but um, at the end, it came down to that: Am I going to obey? Am I not going to obey? And uh, you know, walking around, talking to people. In the last few years, we meet people. You know, similar situations. Being married. They tell us the same thing, you know, when we when were when we talking to them, they tell us the same thing. We don't know who to go to, or we're, we're scared to be judged, or we're scared to say, Well, you know, if we tell them that, they're gonna say, Let's not go to them, they got bigger problems than we do. But we're all in this, system, we're all in it together, you know, we have the same God. But I think we need each other. I need her as a couple, she needs me, and I gotta obey the Lord, and we need each other. So Please keep marriages in prayer for everyone, because uh, we make up the church, we make up uh, community the Lord the way the Lord wants it to be, and um, that is it. Thank you so much.
1: God bless you.
0: Thank you very much for sharing. By the way, you uh, you've celebrated seven years, and in that seven years, you've you've not only gone through losing everything. Dealing with your marriage, learning to live together, but also three kids, three kids and one miscarriage. Four, with three kids and one miscarriage. You guys are champions. I just want you to know that. So, I think that was probably the, the biggest adjustment ju- adjustment I ever made in my life was our first child. It, that was uh, that was eye opening. Let alone having three. So, all right, well, let's open up our Bibles to Mark chapter 8, and um, we're continuing on through the gospel of Mark. Oh, you know what? There's a video I got to show you real fast, and it goes with the sermon. Do you, do you see that video there? Oh, if you could play that.
3: You know what it felt like um it felt like dad strength you know when you were a kid and you're wrestling with your dad you know and he's just taking all the hits and he's toying with you and then boom he just takes you down jesus setting me straight that day it, it felt a lot like that okay okay i know i know hindsight is 20 20 but At that time and at that moment, I I, I just couldn't figure out what he was talking about, you know? I mean, why did he have to suffer? Why did he have to die? No, 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 no! not not on my watch. This wasn't going to happen. No, sir. It just wasn't like he he was thinking straight, you know? I kept thinking maybe he's dehydrated, maybe he's hungry. The man never got enough to eat, if you ask me. So I take him aside, and I start laying into him. And before I could even get very far, he stops me, looks me in the eyes, because he has those eyes. And you know what he said to me? Get behind me, Satan. Dad's strength. Those words, those eyes, that moment floored me. He floored me, but I mean seriously, get behind me, Satan! All right, I admit I have some flaws, you know, but Satan—I mean—that stung a bit. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I just didn't get it. I just didn't see the whole picture, which won't be the last time that'll happen, mind you. You see, I I wanted him to use that—that dad strength on the world, you know. I mean, my desires, my plans. And your boy Peter's plans, they don't always work out so good, i.e., slicing, etc. But he knew, he knew all along. He would give us just enough rope to allow us to figure things out for ourselves. And then he just, he had that dad strength, you know? He'd pull us back in. Right at that moment, we needed saving from ourselves. That was his plan all along. Saving us from ourselves. Saving me from myself.
0: Well, tonight in Mark chapter 8, in Mark's Gospel, we hit a Pivotal point and a turning point in the gospel of Mark. This point at which we hit, we've seen up until uh, until this time, Jesus doing ministry to the crowds. We've seen Him healing. We've seen Him touching, saving, if you will, declaring the kingdom of God. But now we change direction here in Mark. It becomes all about the cross. And we'll see from this time on in Mark chapter 8, Jesus is all about his mission to the cross. So let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word, God, that it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that we all can be thoroughly equipped for every good work of you. Now we ask that you'd bless us, teach us, God, help us to understand your word and more than anything. Help us to apply it into our lives. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark chapter 8, verse 27. If you'll turn there with me or you can see it up on the screen. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist. And others said, Elijah and others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And the first part of this passage, if you remember, uh, Jesus and his disciples got into a boat after the feeding of the 4,000 in, in, in interaction with the Pharisees last week. And Jesus warned his disciples about the leaven of the Pharisees. And then they get into the boat. They go across the way to the region of Bethsaida. There Jesus heals a man by spitting in his eyes, basically. He puts spit in his eyes and, and he heals this man. And it's the only time in the Gospels where we see Jesus touch somebody twice and he heals this man who's spiritually blind. And last week, we talked about our own spiritual blindness and being able to see. Now, Jesus and his disciples are on their way. They're in the area of Caesarea Philippi. And just so you get an idea of where that is, if the Sea of Galilee is this little circle here and you go up 24 miles, that's where you hit, hit Caesarea Philippi. And the name for Caesarea Philippi comes from King Herod. He, he had changed the name and, uh, to be named after Caesar, and while he, while he was there, during Herod the Great's time, he built a giant temple to Caesar, uh, originally there in, in Caesarea, they worshipped Pan, the uh, Greek god of, of, of creation, and then uh, Herod the Great went and turned it into a, te- a temple for Caesar, and it was all about Caesar. And so now Jesus and his disciples, while they're, while they're walking in this region, he's going to use it for an awesome illustration. I mean, the disciples, I'm sure, being good Jews, knew the offenses of the Romans. They, they were waiting for Messiah, or the Christ, to set them free, the Anointed One. And so as Jesus is walking with them, he asks them this very important question, who do people say that I am? And by the way, I think that this is the most essential question you yourself can ever ask in your entire life. I sat with a couple on Monday night, uh, and we were talking, uh, I was doing a wedding for them last, last Saturday night, and I wanted to meet with them, I, I don't really know the couple that well, they're like distant kind of related through a brother-in-law and so on but they they don't have a church they don't they're not christian but they wanted to have a christian pastor marry them and so they asked me and i said i would do it because i feel like that's one chance for me to be able to minister to people who aren't saved and and share the gospel with them well i kept trying to meet up with them but they live out in paris and i couldn't get them to come over to meet with me so monday night i drove out there and I said, well, let's just hang out for a couple hours and eat dinner together and we'll talk. And, and um, so I wanted to find out where they're at spiritually. And so we started talking and sharing. And the, the, uh, the man said, well, you know, I, don't, I gave up Christianity. Um, I said, oh, you gave it up. Why why'd you give it up? Said, well, I was raised with that stuff. But the, the last time I got locked up, I was reading the Bible. And I just decided that, you know, how can anybody believe this stuff? I, you know, I, I think that there's multiple ways to God. And I, I think that it, it's hard to, to say that there's only one way. And so as we began to talk, one of the things I asked him, I said, you know, Jesus made some some pretty crazy statements. One of which was in John 14, 6, when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. That's a very very strong statement and i would challenge you and i challenge everybody with this that if that is true then there is only one way to heaven there is only one god and the access to that god is through jesus christ and wouldn't it be worth at least evaluating to see if jesus is the only way i mean that is something unique about christianity very unique is the fact that it says hey There is only this God, and this is the only way to that God, through Jesus Christ. And so so I challenged him with that statement, and I said, the most important question you're ever going to answer is, who is Jesus? Now, I don't mean like, oh, he's a guy who lived in the first century, and people started worshiping. I don't mean like that, who is Jesus, like a, a trivial pursuit question. I mean, who is Jesus to you? Is He the Lord of your life? Is He someone you're ready to follow? Or is He a question mark to you? Or I'm not really sure? Or yeah, I've grown up, I've heard all about Him, but kind of want to do my own thing right now. Who is Jesus to you? And that's the question that Jesus is asking His disciples as they're walking in this area where it's all about Caesar being worshiped. And so the disciples said, well, some say you're John the Baptist. And if you remember, a couple of weeks ago, we saw how Herod was saying that. Herod, uh, Herod Antipas was saying, oh, well, you're, you're John the Baptist. And, and uh, re- come back from the dead. And then others were saying Elijah, representing the prophets, or, or some other, other prophets. But again, Jesus gets to, who do you say that I am? And Peter answers, you are the Christ, the Messiah. Christ is not Jesus' last name. Okay, that's a really important thing. When people say Jesus Christ, it's, it's, and we just drop out the, the, uh, the article there, the definite article, the. But really, technically speaking, it'd be Jesus the Christ if we were to talk about Jesus Christ. And it's not his last name. And it's just the Greek, Christos is the Greek form of Mashiach. In the Hebrew, which is Messiah, anointed one. The one who's promised about in the Old Testament. The one who the Jews are waiting for. The root of Jesse. The one who's going to remove the heart of stone from the people and put in the heart of flesh in Ezekiel 36. The one who's going to wash the people and make them spiritually clean. The one who's going to put God's commandments inside of them so it's no longer a burden. Jeremiah, chapter 31 the new covenant the messiah ushers in the new covenant and that's what peter's answering peter's saying you're that one you're the anointed one and he strictly charged them to tell no one about him now what do you think that is well i, I think jesus is recognizing that he's going to have to go to the cross and there's a whole lot of crazy ideas about who the christ is Right now in Jesus' day, the, the expectations for the Messiah, when we read extra-biblical writings, we see that they saw the, the Messiah as one who would, would um, trample on and de- destroy all sinners. He would trample upon the sinners and destroy them. We see the Messiah as the one who's going to, the lion of the tribe of Judah, who's going to overthrow the eagle. What does the eagle represent? Rome. And so there's all these expectations about Messiah, and I think one of the reasons why Jesus told them to tell no one is because the people were going to try to make Jesus into the Messiah they want Him to be, not allow Him to be the Messiah that He's called to be. And, and we'll see that next week, by the way, when we talk about Palm Sunday, why how one day they're saying, Hosanna in the highest, and, the, and then two days later they're saying, crucify Him! And we'll be talking about that t- uh, next week in, in, as, we, as we look at the Palm Sunday. But Jesus here says, don't tell anyone about this. Because the fact is, is Jesus didn't just come to overthrow kings. He didn't come just to establish a physical kingdom. He came to save you and I from our sins. He came to do what you and I couldn't do. And this is, I explained this to uh, the man I was meeting with and the woman on Monday night. One of the things I shared about is, what do you do about your sin? You're not good enough. You know that you're not good enough. You know that you've had relationships outside of marriage. You know that you have multiple children. You know that you've been locked up for living the thug life. And it sounds funny when I say it sound way cooler when he says it way cooler but uh <laughs> but anyway you know this what do you do about that see god doesn't say go be better because jesus knows you can't be better it's impossible because you yourself are in your sin so what did jesus do well, he came to die on a cross for you and me to take your sins and my sins upon himself, nailing them to the cross, and then saying those wonderful world words, it is finished. He's paid the price, raising from the dead on the third day. So we go on to Mark chapter 8, verse 31. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again and he said this plainly and peter took him aside and began to rebuke him but turning and seeing his disciples he rebuked peter and said get behind me satan for you are not setting your mind on the things of god but on the things of man wow this is so harsh that's why I wanted to show that video. Because when you think about what the, even the disciples must have thought about Messiah, the, the, the rumors about who Messiah would be and what Messiah would do, we've just made this proclamation, you are Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, and now you're telling us you've got to suffer? That you're going to endure these things and be rejected by men? Who are these men? You're Messiah! You're the anointed one of God. Who are these people? We see you displaying the power of God on a regular basis. We see you speak to people and the demons are cast out. We see you touch people and they can see. Who are these people that are going to make you suffer and be rejected? And so Peter taking him aside, the idea of him being killed even was just like, wait, that's not victory. That's... That's loss. That's, that's, that's not doing what we expect you to do. And so Jesus, uh, Peter, even, even doing this in love, I'm sure, I'm sure Peter hated the idea of Jesus being suffering, begins to rebuke him. You know what? We can do things out of love that are really wrong. We can do things out of love that are against God's purposes, and we fall in the category of an enemy of God. And we want to be very careful about that. We don't ever want to encourage someone to sin. As Alicia and Duncan shared in their testimony, one of the pastors saying, oh, you you guys just aren't getting along. You should just divorce. That's encouraging someone to sin. That's a moment where we need to be wise and say, get behind me, Satan. Even the Christian with the best, most well-meaning intentions can be used by our adversary. And we need to be clear that the Word of God is the authority. And then we check to see what the pastors say with the Word of God. As Acts 17.11, the Bereans were noted as of more noble character because they not only received the message, but then they went and searched the Word of God to see if it was true. We don't want to just trust the pastor. We don't want to just say, well, you know, pastor said it, I can do it, so I can do it. No, go to the Word of God. Pastors can be wrong, seriously wrong. And we see that today. My wife and I were talking the other day about Rob Bell and his interview on Oprah and how he's saying, you know, we don't need the Bible anymore, and, and he's going off on his stuff. And it was interesting because I went to Rob Bell's church that he planted in, in um, Michigan. Uh, he planted Marsh Hill, not to be confused with the Marsh Hill in Seattle, different Mars Hill. Uh, it's a good name for a church, but not, not right now it's not. Uh, <laughs> so, if you think about playing church, maybe think about something other than Mars Hill right now. But anyway, in that church, if you go to their statement of faith, it says that we believe in in the doctrine of the Bible, and we believe in living out the doctrine of the Bible. Yet it's got Rob Bell as their pastor emeritus, and you're going, wait a minute, they're all about believing the Bible, and it seems like, well, that's right on. I want to believe the Bible, and I want to I want to live out the, what the Bible tells me to live out. But yet you've got this spokesperson on national TV. Telling people we don't need the Bible. We can do kind of what we want. We need to accept the trends of our culture. Don't believe people just because they're pastors. Search the Scriptures. I'm not saying you you treat pastors like they're, well, I don't believe you. You're a liar or anything like that. Please don't do that to me. I'll, I'll, I'll just go home and cry every night. <laughs> so, but... Uh, but we want to search the word of God. We want, to, we want to let the word of God be our authority. And so G- Jesus tells him, get behind me, Satan. Listen, I'm going to that cross. And I'm not going to let you, the enemy, or anyone else in all creation stop me from going to that cross. You know, Romans 8.38 says that for I am convinced, Paul says, that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor anything in all creation can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, which is in Christ Jesus. If you want to be loved by God, you find Jesus Christ. If you want to be loved by God, if you want to have a relationship with God, you find Jesus Christ. If you want to be kept by God, know Jesus Christ. And so going on to verse, or actually, if turn with me over to Colossians chapter 3. Oh, you know what? I'm sorry. I don't think we go there yet. Do we? No, it, we go to 834. Uh, <laughs> I apologize for that. In 834... Mark chapter 8, verse 34. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And so we go on from this wonderful declaration that Jesus is Messiah to the rebuke of Peter and now to the call. And Mark gives us this call in general. Mark is the only one who adds in the crowd Luke and Matthew simply have the disciples. They kind of focus the, their, their Gospels towards the disciples. But Mark adds in the crowd, and by doing so, he's also adding in you and me in this, and he wants us to know, hey, this is for you too. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. By the way, take up his cross. Now, for us, as we read this, we think post-Jesus Christ. So we apply it to... Take up his cross. Well, that means that if we're going to follow Christ, we need to be able to surrender ourselves and die to ourselves. And you're absolutely right in that. But let's think first about the original here and what they were hearing. Those Jews sitting around the crowds and the disciples, what they were hearing, if you're going to follow me, deny yourself and take up your cross. See, for the Jews, the cross was a horrible offense. Only the cursed in Deuteronomy, it says, are hung on a tree. And so for, for Messiah to say, you've got to take up a cross, they, I mean, they still don't want to believe that Jesus is going to go to a cross, the Messiah is going to the cross, and they're basically saying, if you're going to follow me, you've got to die in the most cursed way by God. That's what they're hearing, this idea of being put on a cross and Mark or Luke adds something really interesting to this in his gospel. He says, "If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me." Now, just so you know in first century in the first century when someone quotes somebody, it's, it's not like today when, today when we quote somebody, we, we put it in quotations and we, we say it exactly right. you know that's how, what a quote would be. In the first century, that's not how quotes worked. Quotes worked were, Did you accurately transmit?" The, the intended meaning, okay? Not the intended words, the actual words. And so it's very possible that Luke added the daily part in. I don't know, maybe Christ did say that and Matthew and Mark just left the daily part out and put it into the Greek. But where, where we see it in the Greek is the word take up is iro. And take up is just, a, it's in the aorist tense, and, and we don't really have it so much in English. We don't kind of use this, the, the, the idea of an undefined action. And essentially Mark and Matthew are saying the same thing, that this has to happen daily, regular basis, because it's, it's an undefined action or undefined time. There's no, there's no time aspect to the, the verb. And, and, but Luke just adds it specifically, daily. He puts that in there. And so for you and I to realize this, that this isn't a one-time deal. It's not a going down on a field at a harvest crusade. It's not a coming forward in church and saying, okay, taking up my cross today. Now I've done it. Now I'm saved. No, this is a daily aspect. Every day we wake up and we decide, will I follow Jesus today? Will I take up my cross? Will I deny myself? Am I ready to get out of the way and let Christ show through me And Paul says this in Colossians 3. If you'll turn there now with me to Colossians 3 and verse 5. Oh, you know what? Let me back up to verse 3. Colossians 3, verse 3. Paul says, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Now, by the way, Paul is speaking, obviously, to the living, but he's saying that spiritually we've died to ourselves, we've taken up our cross, we're, we're dying to ourselves, and then in verse 5 he says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, and here's a sinless that he gives us, sexual immorality. The word there for sexual immorality is porneia. And pornea, basically what it means is uh, anything immoral sexually, anything doing to do with sex or, or that would be immoral, anything outside of a marriage relationship, put it away. Put it to death. Get rid of it. Because sex was designed for the marriage relationship. Impurity, passion, evil. And by the way, the word passion, I mean, it's not talking about passion of... The idea of just being passionate about something, or it's not talking about zeal. It's talking about that idea of of uh, an emotional anger, evil. That idea, evil desire, covetousness. That's longing after what your neighbor has, or somebody else has, or or saying, "I want to be like them. They've got all this stuff. I want to. I want to have that stuff." That's covetousness, which is idolatry, Paul says. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming, and these you and these you two once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Obscene talk from your mouth. Yeah, the Bible does say something about what we say. It is important to God. We do need to guard our mouths. And watch what we say. You know, I've, I've heard pastors, again, speak on something like this and say, you know, look, God doesn't care. They're just words. Again, let the Bible be your authority. Guard your tongues. is it in James asked that question. Is it possible that salt and fresh water flow from the same stream? Is it possible that we praise God with one mouth and then turn around and curse our neighbor? You know, or say foul things? So watch our talk. Guard your mouth. So Jesus, if Paul calls us to Put all these things to death. And then <clears throat> he goes on to say, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So it's interesting here because when we read this list, we go, we, we have a, t- a couple of re- ways to look at this. Yeah, you know, I was thinking about, I was thinking about Bill when I was reading this list, and he's got to change some stuff. You know, we deflect, (laughs) focus on that person, right? Or we look at it and go, man, no one's perfect. Isn't that why Jesus died anyway? I mean, can't I just hold on to some of that stuff? Because, I mean, I'm just not perfect. I'm Italian, and I get angry, and it starts, you know, I'm Irish, and I get, you know, and we we use up all of our excuses for why we act the way we do. Uh, I say my Agent Orange is acting up. Because my dad fought in Vietnam and it's been proven that DNA uh, was affected by Agent Orange so I can have some of the side effects that my dad has because of that so I can say that. No, it doesn't work like that. Put to death, therefore, whatever is earthly in you. and so, But God doesn't leave it there. God doesn't just say stop it to you. Okay, because you and I know that if someone says stop it to us, all we think about is it. We're like, ah, I, gotta, I can't handle this. I got to do it. And, and, and we just we uh, succumb to temptation. We give in. But God tells us what to do. And that's where we look at the put on list. Verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. This is what you're to put on. Compassionate hearts. Rather than being covetousness, Or having anger or rage or malice towards your neighbor or someone in the fellowship, be compassionate, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Now, just think about this for one minute with you. And I want to encourage everyone, especially if you serve in the Sunday night service, if you help out or you serve anywhere in the church, listen very carefully to this. Be compassionate, kind, in humility and meekness. Consider others better than yourselves. A lot of times when we start serving and someone fails our expectation, we start to complain about them. I've had that happen here on Sunday nights, you know, we're kind of everybody's setting up, they're doing their thing and someone dropped the ball with something or whatever and they'll come to me and go, oh man, I can't believe so-and-so dropped the ball and you know, they're just kind of looking for a way to complain and I'm like, okay, well, I'll just go do it then. And, And so I'll start doing it and then they'll come over and say, well, no, I can do it. Well, why were you complaining to me about it? You know, like, I don't mind helping. And let's not judge each other. Let's not get on each other or try to put other people down. Let's consider ourselves meek and humble, lower than others, denying ourselves, taking up our cross daily. That's what we're doing. Jesus surrendered himself to a cross. Messiah surrendered himself to a cross for you and me. Let's arm ourselves with that very same attitude. Hey, I'm coming to church, I'm going to serve this way. In my neighborhood, I'm going to act this way. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, look at what to do. Run to the pastor. No. Forgive each other. Forgiving each other. That's what we're to do. As the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. This is a tough one for us. We want to hold on to bitterness we don't want to deny ourselves, deny our right to hold on to our anger against somebody or the wrongdoing they've done. But Jesus puts it this way, or Paul, Paul gives us this in his word, forgiving one another as God has forgiven you. When I uh, used to be in youth ministry and I'd have issues between teenagers, you can't do this with adults because adults are too stubborn. Yeah, I'm serious. That's the hardest part about working with adults versus youth. Youth are a little bit more pliable. Adults are just like, huh. <laughs> But I, I would say, uh, okay, so um, just so I can understand the situation, could you just take this piece of paper and a pen and write out what that person did to you so I can understand what the, the main things is? Because usually when someone comes with a, a grievance against somebody, it's like, well, they always do this, and it's, it always turns into always and, and or a bigger deal. So write out what you they did. Okay. All right, well, think, so the, you got that written out? Yeah, you sure you got everything? Think back, and usually it's like two to five, maybe six things, maybe sometimes sin, sometimes it's just a, I don't like what they're doing. Then I say, okay, can you flip over to the other side of the page real fast? And just, uh, I'll give you a few minutes to do this. Can you write every sin you've ever committed? Um, and I'll, I'll be back in a few minutes. And right, as soon as I say that, they look at me like, What? I'm like, yeah, no. Just can you write every sin you've ever committed? You're like, have you ever sinned? Yeah, I've sinned. Well, can you can you write that down? Every I can't remember every single one. Well, what about just this last week? Can we look at this last week? Write down every sin you've committed this last week. Well, I don't think I can remember that. Well, the last two days, three days. Can you can you write down those sins? I'm not sure. Hey, turn with me over to this in Colossians. Turn with me over here. Let's look at what, what the Bible says. Forgiving each other as God forgave you. Man, when we start to list out every single sin you've ever done and, or I've ever done against God, we go, oh, man, maybe that offense wasn't that great. Maybe it wasn't that big of a deal. It doesn't mean that it's not a big deal. I'm sure it is a big deal. But maybe it's not harboring bitterness about it. Maybe we can say, all right, Lord, I'm going to forgive. And here's why I'm going to forgive. Because I'm going to deny myself. I'm going to take up my cross And I'm going to follow you. And I'm going to do it daily. So every morning when I wake up or every time I think about that instance or that grievance or what that person has done to me, harming me, no matter how great that harm is, sometimes it's big stuff, really big stuff, life-altering, shattering stuff, I'm going to deny myself and take up my cross. I'm going to remind myself that, nope, today I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm not going to harbor that bitterness towards that person. And above all these things, verse 14, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. That's Paul's definition of taking up your cross daily and following Jesus. I wonder what your definition was until today. Maybe it was the same. But I want to encourage you tonight, before we go to communion, to evaluate that in you. Are you denying yourself? Is there things that you need to surrender and nail it to a cross? Are there things that you got to put to death in you? And is there something you need to put on? So, tonight, before we go to the communion table, I want to encourage you to pray about that. Last thing, Jesus said, For whoever would lose his life, will, uh, whoever would save his life, will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world? yet loses his own soul. Hey, here's, the, here's the wager. Here's the proposition. You can hold on to your life. You can hold on to the, the, the driver's seat position or whatever you want to call it. Uh, you know, you see those bumper stickers, Jesus is my co-pilot or whatever. Forget that stuff. Let Jesus be the pilot, okay? Forget saying, Jesus, take the wheel <laughs> when, when you're about to crash. No, give him the wheel from the very beginning. Surrender now. Not in the times of hardship, right now. Because here's the proposition. If you try to control your life, you will ultimately lose it because you cannot pay the price for your sins. Your sins are too many and too great. And you owe a debt to an infinite God. That means you owe an infinite debt. You owe a debt that you cannot pay. I love that scene in Top Gun when the, the admiral or whatever is saying to, to Tom, Hay, or, uh, Tom Cruise, Your mouth is writing checks, your body can't cash. You know, it's like you're all talk, but no rock. You can't do this. You can't pay the price. So Jesus challenges us with that. For what does it profit a man if he gives the whole world yet forfeits his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. By the way, Jesus' reference to the Son of Man here is referring back to Daniel. And he's saying, yeah, you know what? Messiah is going to come and judge. The Son of Man will come and judge, but not yet. Now you have a chance to lose yourself. You have a chance to give over your life to him. And, and let him not be ashamed when he comes. Now these words are harsh in this adulterous and sinful generation. And the idea of adulterous there is you're unfaithful. And we don't like it when someone calls us names, right? We don't like it when someone says you're adulterous or you're sinful. It hurts us. Sticks and stones hurt our bones, but words really do hurt us. But the fact is truth hurts us even deeper, doesn't it? I hate it when my wife brings out something in me that is truthful, that I don't like about myself. Hate it more than anything. And there are times when my wife's like, hey Dave, she's got to set me straight on something. And I get so frustrated and I want to really react and try to put up my defenses. But I know what she's saying is so true and I hate it. I hate it because it hurts. Because I'm missing the mark in a certain area. And usually what I do is I take those words and I, I generally, when I'm on, a, on my good days, when I'm denying myself and taking up my cross, I go pray about it. I go pray about it and ask God for the strength to change, the strength for, to do what's right. And that's really what we want to do. We want to surrender ourselves to God because the truth hurts us. We are an adulterous and a sinful generation. I'd say even more so now, well, I don't know if more so, but just as much now as The first century Jews were. And who were they? They were the ones who were keeping the law. And they were an adulterous and sinful generation. But Jesus is the answer for that adulterous and sinful nature in us. And He doesn't have to be ashamed of us. So I want to encourage you tonight, if you haven't done so yet, give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him. You will never be disappointed because the fact is the debt is so high you can't pay it. In 1867, the Swedish chemist Alfred Nobel uh, woke up and he was reading uh, in the morning paper of a French newspaper uh, his own obituary. And the, this is how his obituary read. Alfred Nobel, the inventor of dynamite who died yesterday... devised a way for more people to be killed in a war than ever before. He died a very rich man. That was the obituary. Now, it wasn't he who died. It was actually his brother Alfred. But, uh, I'm sorry, it was uh, his his brother. He's Alfred. It was his brother who died. And yet the, the report, the obituary report bothered him so much then he decided that, you know, he's going to change. He doesn't want to be known for the man who profited from the death of many. So, so that's what, why he left his whole fortune, 94% to be exact of his fortune, to the Nobel Prizes and the Nobel Peace Prize. He wanted to be known for peace. Now that was a man who, looking at his obituary, saw what it was going to say and said, nope, i got to change things. Listen, the Bible tells us you and I will all stand before God in judgment. And right now, right now, tonight, you have a chance to change things. The Bible says that you will pay the price for your sin. And you can't afford it. But right now, you have a chance to change things. So I want to encourage you, look to the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord... God we are thankful that you did for us what we could not do, Lord. your wonderful plan of salvation. Jesus, we thank you that you died upon that cross on our behalf. Lord, help us to follow you. God help us to, to understand you and to trust in you even when when we're unsure of what to do, Lord. God help us to put our faith in you. help us to put ourselves aside, dear God, so that you can work through us Lord. Your servant is listening, so speak. We thank you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.